What's up, everyone? This is TJ Hernandez, the director of DFS at 444. This is a rebroadcast of episode number 77 from August 14th, 2018, where Holden and I go over our weekly process uh, for getting ready for the DFS slates. We get really deep into uh, the specifics on our preparation in this one. And if you haven't yet signed up for 444 as part of your preparation for the season, uh, make sure you do so right now. The promo code DFSMVP will get you 25% off. That code is only good for the DFS subscription. For now, enjoy this rebroadcast from August DFS MVP, Holden Kushner here alongside TJ Hernandez, the director of DFS for 444.com. Hey, man, before we get started, was that Nelly? Are we listening to Nelly? Yeah, throwing it back to 2000 with the single Country Grammar from the album Country Grammar. Uh, one of the greats. I mean, that that's what got Nelly to pop. So nice little intro there. And you can find that song along with all of the intros on the DFS MVP Spotify playlist. Just search DFS MVP or look good for it on my Twitter. I, I tweet it out all the time. Is Tribe Called Quest available? Can I request some Tribe Called Quest? Yeah, I think we have one Tribe song on there, but we definitely uh, will we'll get some back in the mix. All right, very good. Let's uh, let everybody know what we're going to be talking about here. I'm always fascinated in talking to the the DFS wizards about their process, their weekly process. And mm-hmm. normally, like I've gone to conferences and I'm paying money to go listen to guys speak to talk about their process. You're actually going to have a chance to listen to one of the best in the business talk about his process. I'll chime in on my process. I, mean, I looked at this this outline that you gave me and I'm like, oh, Oh, well, I do about half of that. <laughs> it's, just, it's it's five pa- five full pages of like eight font of what you do on a weekly basis. So this is this is yeah. terrific. It's going to be a great show today. Yeah, I mean, it's it's literally a full-time job. If you want to uh, be profitable, you're playing against some sharp dudes, you got to have what you're doing nailed down. So hopefully what we talk about uh, will help people give them, give them an edge. There's an edge to be had in this stuff uh, more than just building lineup. So I'm excited to get into it. As you said, mastering these steps is going to give you an edge beyond Mm -hmm. just player projections because you could go on, on any site. I mean, there's free sites out there that'll give you DFS picks, but if you really want to have a chance to be consistently good at it, you got to come up with your own process. So let's start with your process, TJ. Let's say we're in week two because week one completely different beast and we can get into that in another show. But after week number one, what's the number one thing you're doing? Yeah, I think this is probably the step that gets overlooked the most, uh, whether it be because if someone has a winning week, they're like, hey, I nailed this. I'm good. I know what I'm doing. If that's a losing week, on to the next one. I don't want to think about that anymore, but uh, we should be reviewing our process. Not in Anything you want to get better at, you should be reviewing, right? And It's no different with DFS. So uh, there's a few ways to do that. And I think one of the the easiest things that we can do is we can look at, at players that are doing better than us or uh, players that are winning. And one of the first things I do every week is I, I look at the big tournament winners, whether it be uh, contests I played in or just the winning Sunday million or a uh, millionaire maker tournaments on, on FanDuel and DraftKings, because even if you don't play in those pretty much every website is posting the winning lineups to those. And it, it can just give you a, a refresher or a new idea on how to think about building lineups. When you go through and see where these uh, players are winning or how they're winning tournaments, uh, did you miss a value for whatever reason, a value play that that player used? Uh, were they using roster constructions that you didn't think of, whether it be uh, stacks or teams or even allocating different salaries to, uh, to to different positions? Maybe if you went with a, a high-low approach, the winning strategy was playing all the players in the middle salary tier. Why didn't you think about that? Uh, I mentioned stacks and then looking at ownership. What what did the ownership look like? Was Was it a lineup that was 
uh, had a bunch of really high owned guys with a, a couple really low owned guys or was it kind of down the middle? Uh, think about things like that. Look at them. Uh, it's not going to be the same every week, but if you're reviewing this process and seeing what other people are doing, it just gives you a different perspective, which is uh, very important. And then same thing for cash games. Uh, if you're, if you're playing head to heads, chances are you have some head to heads against uh, some really good players. If, if you're familiar with, uh, with Twitter or, or the content providers or just looking at the lobby, seeing who's playing the most volume, probably going to get matched up with some of those guys. So uh, what are they doing in their head-to-head lineups? And then in these these bigger field 50-50s and double-ups, you, you're you not matched up directly with them. But uh, did you play them in a head-to-head and in a 50-50? And if so, were those players playing different lineups? Think about that stuff. Take a look at it. You get a lot of information by looking at what other people are doing. Yep. So, again, reviewing what you did the previous week, very important. And I'll tell you just something that I have trouble with is going back mm-hmm. after I win. In, yeah. in reviewing it, I get so pissed yeah. off after I lose that I want to go back and see every little mistake that I made and try and figure out what everybody else is doing. But you're right. I mean, if you win, get a little cocky and and DFS will bring you back down to earth really quickly, DJ, because something bad could happen at any point in time. Well, this is the great thing about NFL, and this is the reason that I was uh, attracted to to DFS. It's because not only do I love the process, but pretty much all of NFL is process. You have a, a whole week to prepare. You're not. It's not like poker where you you can just go sit at a table at any time instead of studying. There's nothing but studying all week, and then now the main slates are only on Sunday. So. Most people have all of Monday. Like there's still some some stuff coming out on Mondays. There's some salaries, but uh, between Sunday night and Monday night, there's this big period with not much going on. Use that Monday before in Monday night football to review. All right. So then there's the salary release, and there's mm-hmm. usually free contests on FanDuel. And what I'll yeah. do the second that they're released, and usually it's I it's during the Sunday night game. I think halftime of the mm-hmm. Sunday night football game they release it. Yep. And I'll look at it and I'll just make a dummy lineup and I will not change that lineup. I will not change that lineup and I'll see how it does during, you know, during the next week you play. It's a free contest. Big deal. You got nothing to lose on that one. And I think I think maybe three or four times would it have really cashed anything. And I'm talking about 50 50s. Usually that dummy Mm -hmm. lineup there, there's so much you're tweaking during the week. And I don't know if you've if you followed what you do with the dummy lineup, but that's what I do. That's to me is the first process that I'm going through after looking back at my lineups, if I won, but my first thing is putting a dummy lineup in it at halftime. Uh, when the salary's released on Sunday night, what are you doing? Yeah, it's a really smart thing to do because there's so much information uh, during NFL season that you can really get a uh, system overload throughout the week. And, and if you're not doing that beforehand, you'll really get lost in, in what your your true process or your true north is for that week. And and the best way to be contrarian, I think we've already talked about it on, on past pods, is to do your own homework. And one of those first things that I do, open up the salaries and, again, you said those come out Sunday night, so Monday during your review process, uh, before you start doing research, before projections are out for the week, what do you think the primary values are? Build a couple uh, lineups without any research, and even if you decide that, wow, that's really bad, at the very least, now you have a, a true contrarian play uh against the field because you built something that isn't uh, influenced by uh, the, the field that is usually pretty close on on what they're thinking for that week so it gives you a reference point at least to say what were my initial reactions to the week and i think that's a really good thing to have yep and then when you're looking at the salaries you got to analyze the salaries you got to analyze the structure of the game so let's start with the with the salaries and analyzing if it's tight or it's loose are you doing that by comparing different sites fanduel DraftKings, or whatever how are you trying to find the the looser salaries yeah, this is uh, this is where experience comes into it a little bit, a little more art than science here. Um, obviously, there, there's always going to be a way to make lineups uh, under the salary cap, but once you you've played enough, you can pretty quickly realize that uh, I can fit three or four studs into my lineup. That's weird. That means the salaries are really loose. Other times, there just aren't really any obvious values. A lot of times, this will come down to a, a quarterback value or a, a, a free running back that where a, a backup is going to be starting. But that should determine your bankroll mix. And 
again, I want to start looking at this before I make all these decisions because I want to be very clear headed when I'm I'm making these decisions. And if I think salaries are on either end of the spectrum, it's going to determine which games I play, how much I'm playing. And I want to do this before research has me so confident that it's going to lead to uh, to some bad bankroll decisions. So of course, this is going to be subject to change as information comes out through the week. But one of the things I want to do first is go through these games, determine what my bankroll plan is going to be and have that set in stone before I'm in the mindset of, oh, I have this week locked up. I'm going to I'm going to crush this week. Then all of a sudden you're playing, I don't know, 30 percent of your bankroll when maybe uh, the loose salaries call for you to be reining it in because it's going to be a really high variance week. So how are you doing that? How are you building your bankroll plan on a week to week basis? So I'm I'm doing uh, I'm, I'm starting from whatever my my generic strategy is. So let's say that I usually play um, let, let's go with the 80 20 10 rule where I'm usually playing 80% cash, uh, 20% GPPs with no more than 10% of my bankroll play. That's my starting point. And then I'm going to look at the salaries like I mentioned. Do I think it's a tight salary week or a loose salary week? If it's tight, that means uh, that that there's more skill coming into play, which means I could probably play more because I have a bigger skill advantage over the field. And then what I'm going to do is I want to look at the structure of the games available. And I want to see, has the rate changed? Sometimes uh, it'll change for a specific tournament. Maybe there's a beginner game all of a sudden, and there's there's a really low rake on that game that I qualify for. Now I could play a little bit more because I'm not paying as much to the website. Um, are there games that are available or aren't available that that there were in the previous week. So a lot of times there'll be um they'll they'll be in, say there's an eight dollar tournament that you play every week. If that tournament all of a sudden has an extra thousand opponents or it uh, it doesn't even exist anymore, you have to switch which games you're playing and in turn that should switch your bankroll mix. And then even if that game still exists, sometimes the structure in those games will change. So we want to look at uh, how much of the field is being paid, how much of that money is going to first place. If I min cash in this tournament, how much am I multiplying my money by? It's a really big difference if I min cash and I get one and a half X my buy-in compared to if I double my money for min cashing. Uh, that's going to directly affect how high variance your your game selection is. And when I take all that into account, now I'm going to go into my bankroll plan and start building out exactly what my game mix should be for that week. Well, let's move on to research then, because, and again, there's quite a few pieces of the puzzle. It's, it seems like it's complicated from the far view, but once you get into a process, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just a, it's it's almost a checklist. You don't even need to look at the checklist anymore. So, mm-hmm. for you and me, listen, I'm doing my own research before I try getting into what yeah. four for four is doing. Then, yeah. once I get my research done, I'm all over that. This four for four, like I've said, you you guys have been the guys that I I've gone to more than anybody else. So, doing my own research. Um, Besides for putting in a dummy lineup, then you get your bankroll going. I think looking a little bit at Vegas is pretty good. And then there's some in, some individual statistics you're going to want to look at uh, for individual players and the matchup mm-hmm. that they have. So let's get into those and start position by position. So the researched part of it for quarterbacks in particular, we've talked about some of the strategies and some of the things you can yeah. you should look at. Quarterback, research, what are we doing? Yeah, uh, I mean, so this is going to go for all positions. You mentioned you mentioned Vegas, and then obviously we're going to be looking at um, at matchups. That just makes sense, no matter what game you're playing, what uh, position you're looking at. That's something you should be looking at on four for four. We have an adjusted fantasy points allowed metric that is bigger than just uh, it's it's more efficient than just raw fantasy points allowed. Uh, so that allows me to obviously know where to see a starting point. Um, and then those early Vegas lines, you're, you could find some exploitable situations before those lines start to move. Maybe keep some of those uh, lines that look a little, a little questionable in mind because that might end up having some uh, ramifications on ownership later. And then for all of these positions, I'm looking at uh, three different types of statistics. I'm looking at their season long stats their stats for the last six weeks. Obviously, that comes a little later into the season. And then uh, just last week, because I'm looking for trends. If we're in, in week 12, that week one data and the season-long data might not be as important as what's happened the last six weeks. And and you want to be looking for those trends. An easy way to do that 
go on four for four, whether it's the the target app, the snap app, the fantasy points browser, you can click one button, export that to a CSV, get familiar with Excel. All you have to do is hit uh, the the heat map button and it, it gives you a really quick way to see these trends. So if, if a player is averaging, I don't know, eight targets per game, but it was, it was nine, 10, 11, 12 for the first few weeks and it's dropping down to five, six, seven, you could see that really quickly. So think about those things uh, for quarterbacks. I'm starting with efficiency for my quarterbacks. I'm I'm looking at touchdown rates. I'm looking at fantasy points per pass attempt, both for the quarterback and the defense that they're going to be facing. Uh, we we want to generally stay away from those volume metrics for quarterbacks, and and those two uh, touchdown rate and fantasy points per attempt tell us the quarterbacks that are playing efficiently. Could also tell us some quarterbacks that might be due to to bounce back or that might be playing a little bit over their head. Uh, I like to look at the Offensive line versus defensive line, sack rates and pressure rates. That's something that I think it's overlooked a lot in quarterback research, and that's going to have a really big impact on on both the defense you're picking for your quarterback and and your quarterback performance. If your quarterback doesn't have time to throw, then that's going to directly affect uh, his uh, his fantasy output. And a lot of people just want to look at opposing secondaries. Make sure you're looking at those uh, opposing defensive lines as well. The wind is a huge one for quarterbacks. All weather is important, but when it gets really gusty, that's when we see some uh, quarterback efficiency start to fall off. Red zone tendencies, I want quarterbacks that are going to have the opportunity to score a lot. If their team's passing in the red zone at a very high rate, that's very good for my quarterback. I want to look at the same thing for uh, for the opposing defense as well. Do they face a lot of passes? Do they allow high touchdown rates inside the red zone? And then thinking about kind of contrarian plays or, or just something that people might not be looking at. People always start with the, the favorites and the teams with the highest implied point totals. Look for those quarterbacks that are slight underdogs at home, especially if they have decent implied point totals. Those are usually pretty profitable situations just from a, a team perspective, but from a ownership perspective in DFS, those guys will go overlooked pretty often. What if that quarterback is Josh Allen? <laughs> then um don't don't just don't play that team this year did you see what jalen ramsey said about him i didn't oh my god jalen ramsey has a has this article in gq and he basically just crushed every single every single quarterback besides for aaron Rodgers, deshaun watson and tom brady and uh hold on i'm gonna get here we go he goes i think josh allen is trash i don't care what nobody say he's trash and he's going to show too. That's a stupid draft pick to me. <laughs> I'm root, I'm rooting for you, Josh Allen. Me too. Yeah, there's Man, a no. He, there's he been no draft pick crushed as much as him in recent memory. None. He didn't do anything wrong. Let I mean, the Bills picked him. Let him be. <laughs> Jalen Ramsey. I think they're playing him this year too. <laughs> I mean, that'll be fun. Uh, and he thinks that Kirk Cousins is a winner, so he's good. And then uh, he didn't say anything bad about Blake Bortles, but you know that he thinks Blake Bortles sucks. Like when Jalen Ramsey <laughs> yeah. stops playing, the truth's going to come out what he thinks about Blake Bortles. Because basically what he said was yeah, the, he gets the job done. The Jalen Ramsey tell-all will be a fun one, yeah, huh? It will. All right, let's get to uh, running back here. Now, in any in any type of football, fantasy football, DFS, seasonal, anything, you want to find the guy that's getting volume, the touches. Yeah. To me, number yeah. one thing. So everybody should know that going into it. What are a couple other things you should be looking at when you're trying to select running backs? Yeah, and I mean, raw touches are going to often tell the whole story. The guys that, that see the most volume, are that's usually going to carry over from week to week. Uh, but don't just look at the raw touches. A lot of newer players might not uh, be familiar with with rate stats for the teams or for the backfield. So I'm not just looking at those raw touches. I'm looking at what's the percentage of touches going to the running back, to that specific running back or to the, the running back position as a whole for that team. And what percentage of the backfield touches is each running back getting? We, we like to throw around the term uh, workhorse, but there's not a lot of guys that see more than two thirds of their team's touches. And sometimes if those guys are stuck on bad teams, we might not notice that they're in a quote unquote workhorse role just because there's not enough volume. But if there's guys that are accounting for a large percentage of team or backfield touches that are all of a sudden in a good spot, maybe they're playing 
the Bills, that player should have an influx of usage, even if their their raw data says they've only been averaging 13, 14 touches per game. Maybe all of a sudden they're going to get 20 because of that percentage of touches. So uh, on the surface, yes, you should know volume, but you should also know how to interpret that volume. Are you, uh, real, real quick, are you looking at the um, adjusted line yards on like football outsiders? Where's the best place to dig up that kind of information? Or are you just doing it by yourself? Yeah. Football Outsiders is is a really good proxy for that. Uh, it's they, they use success rates and, and a couple other metrics uh, that, that are weighted by team. We're going to be doing some stuff on 444 this year. We partnered up with Sports Info Solutions, so we should have some some really great data on that on our own. Uh, but definitely I'm, I'm using Football Outsiders. They're doing some great work on, on line yards. So that's a matchup. Again, uh, we talked about stats like adjusted fantasy points allowed on on four for four and and that accounts for fantasy points but also we should be looking at things like those offensive and defensive lines because uh that's really important too yep no doubt about it um to the wide receivers real quick you want guys that are having the ball thrown toward them so you look at uh, at targets mike waller does a remarkable job with the wide receiver cornerback matchup uh mm-hmm. article on four for four he's a guy i've gone back and forth with plenty of times during last season uh, just picking his brain and, and that that's another great reason to to have the DFS up for four for four. And then, you know, you got red zone targets, you've got inside the 10, you got inside the five, so many just little factors that could give you an edge. But why don't you talk real quick about your wide receiver process and trying to find the best three or four every week? Yeah. Wide receivers are a little unique because they're not as, uh, as, as prone to being uh, hurt by, by either matchup or, uh, game flow is the other position. So that target share is a big one, not just looking at, at raw targets, but looking at target share. Again, I, I similar to running backs, if we know a percentage of targets that a wide receiver is seeing for its team, if all, all of a sudden they're in a situation where they should be passing more, that means a, a very big uptick in targets. You mentioned the cornerback wide receiver charts. Wide receiver statistics in terms of fantasy points allowed can be very misleading because on the team level uh secondary can be very good at limiting wide receiver points but they could have a weak cornerback or uh, offense might have a receiver that lines up all over the field that can avoid their dominant cornerback if that cornerback's stationary and we need to be looking for those situations because a lot of people are just looking at that DraftKings red number this team is is good against wide receivers I'm not playing Odell Beckham. Well, if Odell Beckham's going to move over the field or or if if he's going to avoid whatever cornerback it might be, then we should be playing Odell Beckham in that spot because he's going to be under-owned. So uh, paying attention to where wide receivers are lining up is very important. You mentioned red zone targets. Red zone's tricky because obviously not all red zone opportunity is created equally. Looking at uh, inside the 10 is a better proxy because obviously there's just going to be more in zone targets, the problem with that is sometimes uh, you're, you're not going to have enough sample size of targets inside the 10 to, to get anything telling. So that's why I like to look at those end zone targets. Are they being thrown at inside the end zone? If if a guy gets a red zone target, but it's a screen pass from the 19-yard line, I mean, what, what does that really tell you? Show me the guys that are, are getting targets inside the end zone. And then air yards and average depth of target, uh, that – those are numbers that Josh Hermsmeyer will be talking about a lot on four for four this year, and they they are very predictable of wide receiver success. And it's going to also tell you which players are high variance, which players are safe. These slot receivers that are running short routes close to the line of scrimmage probably a little bit safer for cash games. A guy that's streaking down the field, he might not see as many targets per game, but that's a, a boom candidate that you might want to play in GPPs. All right, so uh, you got the tight ends that you want to look at more red zone work than anything else. Um, anything else that you want to talk about any of these positions that maybe I left out trying to set you up? Yeah. One, one thing that I look at for wide receivers or running backs, and you could throw tight ends here if you want to, but it's probably not as important, but everybody's looking at a dollar uh, per point values. I like to look at running backs dollar per projected touch or dollar per average touch and wide receiver dollar per uh, projected target or average target. It's just a a unique way to look at value that might not show up that other people might not be looking at. 
All right, so let's move on. Again, you're listed to DFS MVP, and you get 25% off the DFS uh, M- the DFS package on 444.com by using the promo code DFS MVP. Uh, weekly tracking. Let's, let's do that mm-hmm. because it's not just line movement. It's injuries. It's ownership. Um, I've yeah. always found trying to predict ownership is fascinating and, and how, you, mm-hmm. how, how you even get good at it. Because it really is, it's a crapshoot, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, there are, there's a couple of guys that are, I, I feel like are head and, above, head and shoulders above the rest. And even they are not going to be uh, totally accurate. That to me is something, let, let's start with that weekly tracking and expected ownership, because that's a tough mm-hmm. one to crack. You know who the super chalk's going to be, but yep. you know, outside of that, I, I find it tough, it really tough to, to find a source where it's always going to be, you know, even within 5% of, of a lot of players. I, I think just knowing that super chalk alone is, is giving you a, a leg up. Like we're kind of stuck in this Twitter and DFS bubble where we, we think that everybody's doing the same thing, but there's literally tens of thousands of other people on these websites that are very casual that are, are logging on Sunday morning, half an hour before kickoff and just clicking some buttons uh, to, to try to gamble and, and parlay their money a little bit. But uh, having an idea of who that is by following Twitter, um, by following uh, Twitter tracking and, and website tracking sites like Fanshare can give us a pretty good idea. And then we can uh, adjust kind of those, those if you want to do like a consensus ownership or just look at four for fours, even if they're not within, I don't know, two or 3%, they're usually going to be within a decent range. And then you can adjust by uh, the game type you're playing, by the buy-in level you're playing. And really what we're looking to do when we're tracking ownership, we're not trying to figure out precisely what uh, the ownership's going to be because that's probably impossible. What we want to do is get a, a decent range of what we think it will be. And then when we, it, it really comes down to GPPs if we're building our portfolio, thinking about over and underweight scenarios. So, if even if uh, you're probably not going to have a situation where you have exactly say 17% of a player in your lineups, but we you can do if you if you know a player or have an idea that a player is going to be on somewhere in the 15 to 20% range and you're high on that player, then have them in 40% of your lineups or 35% of your lineups because it's probably not going to be 20% off of what we expect. That's pretty rare, but it's giving us a, a proxy for us to build out our portfolios. And that's why we should really be thinking about it in terms of ranges. You know, even, even the guys that are the, the top of the, t- the cream of the, the, the cream rise at the top. Well, guys like you that are doing that, even you guys listen to one or two other guys. And, and I only listen to, two other people. I yeah. try to come up with my own process. I'll do everything. And then I will check myself against two other guys and I'll text those guys and we'll go back and forth mm-hmm. and back and forth. And, and that's just how I do it. So I think it's important, even if, if you don't know it, if you don't know TJ or you don't know, so try and hit him up on Twitter or send him an yeah. email or something, because I, I think that, you know, bouncing ideas off of other guys or ladies is yeah. really going to give you an, it's it's going to make you a better player. It it comes down to how you're using these resources. Uh, I got admittedly I got a little too far away from it last year, where I was relying almost exclusively on my own research. And again, that's if you're going to be on one end of it, I think that's the end you should be on because it's going to give you some uh, really unique perspective. It, obviously, people can't climb into your mind and do what you're doing, at least not yet. Uh, but uh, I'm using even four for four other writers on four for four in my small group of, of DFS friends, I'm using it for a gut check. Uh, so I'm not having four for four do my work for me. I'm not just going to clicking on lineup generator and saying, who's the best value. I am doing all this research first and then I'm hitting up some friends. I'm going on the lineup generator. I'm going on the stack value reports and I'm either using it to see, did I miss something or who are the guys that who who's my core guys and where do they factor into say the stack value report which stacks who should i be stacking these these guys that i like with uh so instead of d- don't don't rely on someone else for it use it as a just as like i said as a gut check yeah and that's that's the other thing come up with a core of players yeah, there's a lot of people put maybe 10 lineups in a week right and they're trying to win mm-hmm. some money and it'll be 10 completely different lineups where they're not even using the same player in any of those lineups. 
it really does help to come up with a core of players, especially when you're playing, you know, more than one entry, right? I mean, that's what I do. I come up with a core of players and try and sprinkle in around those guys. Yeah, I think probably the question I get more than anything, whether it be on Twitter or someone I run into a bar that finds out what I do for a living, uh, is how many lineups do I play? How many players do I play? And it really comes down to what games are you playing? How many of those games are you playing? How big is your bankroll? Uh, So I have some general rules that I tend to stick by when I'm finally, after all of this stuff we talked about, I finally start building lineups. In cash games, especially if you only play head-to-heads for cash or if you're playing high-volume head-to-heads, I'm generally sticking to one cash lineup per slate in head-to-heads. The reason for that is I want to get my true expected value of that lineup. So say you have 100 head-to-head games. If you finish in the 60th percentile, you're usually going to win about 60 of your head-to-heads. If you start mixing up your lineups, even if you play 100 head-to-heads, one might win, one might lose. All of a sudden, you're, you you had a couple profitable lineups, but they're mixed up between some of maybe one lineup uh, only played against you only played five times and you just happened to face uh, five really good lineups. That was your best lineup. And then your worst lineup, it played some some okay lineups, but you you didn't win any of those because you didn't want to play your best lineup a hundred times. So in cash game, uh, I think probably if you're playing heads heads, you should stick to one. The the kind of rule of thumb is try to play about 30 uh, games or 30 head-to-heads per stake. That's just kind of a statistical number where you start to general, generally see a normal distribution over a random sample. Uh, so if, you can, if you're playing just $1, try to be around 30 head-to-heads if you can. Uh, I, some of the risk-averse players, if say you have enough to play 200 lineups or 200 head-to-heads, I'm sorry, I could see where some people might want to play two lineups. If you're torn between David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell, they are the exact same price, uh, and and nobody has anything that really separates them. I I see a situation where you play one David Johnson, one Le'Veon Bell lineup, but I, I try to avoid it. Yeah, and I'll I'll just go back to you know playing other other types of games besides for head to heads and just your cash games in general. I, yeah. I, I you should not have more than one cash game lineup. I mean, I, I don't. Um, I guess I get what you're saying with David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell if you're going at, at that, mm-hmm. but uh, on a shorter slate, like a three-game slate, yeah. a two-game slate, I don't even – to me, it doesn't make sense to even play cash games. That's all tournaments and you know, five-player games, 10-player games, 20-player games. What are your thoughts on smaller slates and playing cash? Yeah, it's kind of analogous to the situation where uh, we have looser salaries because there's going to be so much overlap and, and so much variance uh, that even if you – do have good values or or plays that you're you're locked in on uh all that overlap is going to lead to higher variance and we're not looking for that in our cash games we're looking to minimize our range of outcomes so if probably i i say uh maybe six to eight games is where i don't consider it a small slate uh what i'll do a lot to get my natural variance is i'll play thursday through monday cash uh, Sunday through Monday cash, uh, main slate cash, which is just Sunday, uh, 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. And then usually those 10 a.m. games, I'm on the West Coast, so I call them 10 a.m. games. Uh, there's usually eight to 10 games on that early slate or the, the early slate of games. So I'll, I'll play cash lineup in there. So now I have four cash lineups, uh, but they're on different slates. So I'm not, I'm not necessarily hedging just to, uh, to lower variance. I'm, I'm doing it across slates and, and still playing what I think is an optimal lineup in every single one. What time do you wake up on Sundays with your 10 o'clock games? Four? Uh, <laughs> no, I, it's, it's opposite. I usually stay up late and try to try to sleep. Um, and when I say late as possible, I'm just saying like as late as reasonably possible. Uh-huh. Usually I set my alarm for, for 7 a.m. So give myself about three hours. So you got three, but hours. I'm up late on, but I'm up late on Saturday nights. I was doing a uh, show on Sirius and they, I think we were on from like seven to eight in the morning. So I'd get up at five just to check Twitter yeah. Schefter and Rappaport come up with their things at six o'clock. Eastern. that's basically three o'clock your time. Uh, if you, yeah. if you have a social life, it is so difficult to, to play DFS. I mean, I just, you have to be so disciplined 
not to go crazy on Saturday night. I mean, luckily, I I, I do this for a living, so I don't I don't really have a, a choice. Uh, I have stuff I need to be doing on the website, so it forces me. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm home on Saturday nights. So I was I was going to talk about that a little bit later. If you want to. If you want to be profitable and take this serious, you probably shouldn't be going out on Saturday nights, whether you're West Coast or East Coast. No, it's a, I mean, at least you got a little advantage. East Coast, you can sleep for a little while longer. But man, the West Coast. And if you live in Hawaii and you're listening to this, you're totally screwed. Oof. Don't even yeah, bother. That's, that's a different level. What is that? Don't that's, go to bed. <laughs> what is it, eight in the morning? Yeah, the game started like eight in the morning. That's. But then again, they live in Hawaii, so you don't have anything to worry about. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, last thing I want you to talk about with the cash and the in the process there lineup building lock the free squares talk about that yeah I mean if there's a cheap running back or, or mid price running back that is set to see 20 carries all of a sudden because of an injury that happened midweek I almost don't even think about it and oftentimes this rolls over to my GPPs at least it'll be a my highest owned guy that's just it's free money and it frees you up to do so much in your lineups that uh, it's just not a situation that, that you want to overthink. Um, 99% of the time, if there's that free square in it, it's almost always a running back. You're never really going to have a free square at another position. Even even at quarterback, you never really consider it a free square. Uh, but but that free or cheap running back, that that's all of a sudden going to see a, a big volume boost because of a midweek injury or something like that. Just, just lock that guy in. And you're going to have it. You're gonna have it here. And what what was it? DraftKings kind of priced mm-hmm. everything up with the backup yeah. running backs. I think four thousand was yeah. it? Was it yeah. one of the two? They they priced up the backup running back. It was really smart by them to you know kind of limit the variance there. But you're gonna have one of those guys. It's going to happen between now and then. Definitely. A stud's gonna go out, and you're gonna to want to plug that guy in at least into your cash games. Sure. All right. So let's move on to GPPs. Um, mm-hmm. This is interesting because game selection and again you and i have talked about this in early earlier pod but now we're you're actually going through the process of your game selection where do you start i i mean it it depends on a lot of things what what are your um what what are your goals what's your bankroll what what are you trying to accomplish you trying to play full-time i tend towards the higher stakes uh smaller field gpps so something like i don't know like these 700 dollar uh single entry 100 man tournaments uh if you're playing those then that should determine how you're building your lineups uh probably you want to be a little bit more contrarian in those high stakes games because good players are generally more price sensitive that means they're uh going to be on the proper values more often and and you should know that about your opponents it's it's similar to knowing your home league in redraft you you kind of know where players are going to go or or who's going to be those popular players and and in these smaller single entry tournaments a lot of times owners are scared to fade those chalky plays because they only have one bullet um and this is proven by ownership if we look at ownership of players across stakes it shows that higher stakes players tend to be more price sensitive if we look at it from a zoomed out view. So if someone like a, a Julio Jones is priced at 9,000 when he is usually around 81 or 8,200, he's going to be higher owned in these lower stakes contests because bad bad players or novice players just aren't pri- as price sensitive. And um, this is a, a little bit go goes a little bit against what people think because they think in these huge field tournaments, you just want to be super contrarian because you have to beat, I don't know, a hundred thousand people, but there's a lot of people that aren't paying attention to value in those fields. So the way to be contrarian in these large field, small stakes tournament is to build your core around value and then just find a couple of the guys that you like that probably aren't going to be super high owned. You don't need nine guys under 10%. You can easily take down the millionaire maker with a couple 20 and 30% on guys. That's the biggest misconception that you can't play chalk. You absolutely need yep. to. You if, yeah. if the chalk is the best play, you've got to put those guys in your lineup. You have to. Yeah. And, and like I said, I go back, I said 99% of the time I'm, I'm, playing that free square the one time i might be is if if i'm in a 50-man tournament that's i don't know 2500 bucks or something and i only have i'm only facing condia and smiz and and noto uh, then i mean those guys all know and probably they're smart enough to use that so i sometimes i'm almost forced to avoid that value situation but most people uh 
don't have to worry about that. And, and you could build around those good values. Anything else on GPPs you want to bring up before we get to uh, the actual morning of and the process then? Cause it's just about as well, I don't think you think it's as important because you got most lineups <laughs> in the night before, but for me, just trying to find out, you know, the late scratches, uh, it's just so important to pay attention yeah. to 1130 Eastern when, when all the yeah. entries come out. I think there's two really important things that you should be doing with, with your, your cash and your GPP lineups uh, that, that we didn't touch on one, just have your backup plans in play. And the, the great thing about NFL is we usually have a pretty good idea of who has a chance of being scratched or be limited in playing time. Cause we have the whole week to digest the information. It's, it's very rare that we wake up on Sunday morning and someone is out that we had no idea that that was going to happen. So have your backup plans in, in play because we have that information already because if, I don't know who, whoever it might be, if a starting running back is announced out Sunday morning, we probably had a good idea he had an injury and the player you're going to you're going to sub in for him is going to change everything you're doing because you're not going to have a 1v1 for a player in the same price range most likely. Usually it's probably going to change the entire salary makeup of your lineup. So have all of those backup plans in place whether it's just in a a CSV that you can import or saved on the 444 lineup generator. And then another thing that that you can do that I mentioned I I tend towards these uh these smaller contests and what that often does, it doesn't let me have exposure to some of these plays that I think are, are really uh, interesting, uh, low ownership plays, uh, but would it make sense to play in something like a 50 or 100 man? Have a, a YOLO budget. So if you play $1,000 a week, maybe put, I don't know, 50 bucks aside where you just enter uh, a $1 tournament. And then for just from a psychological perspective, you have exposure to some of those players you like, but didn't make sense to play in other games. All right. I like that. So the morning of you look in here and I, again, 1130, the injury reports come out. So you're going to find who's scratched mm-hmm. at least for the early games. Yeah. Well, what are you doing on the individual sites, FanDuel, DraftKings, other things? What are you looking for? Yeah. Um, it, it's kind of different on both sites. FanDuel, uh, it kind of shows you who you're matching up with. If you say you posted head to heads, um, if it looks like your head-to-head games aren't going to fill, then maybe you want to uh, uh, retract some of those entries and just start diversifying games that are posted yourself so you don't just get matched up uh, all of a sudden with, I don't know, the same opponent 10 times. Or maybe if, if you don't want to end up just playing with 50 other Sharks that posted to heads that week, maybe all of a sudden if it looks like those head-to-heads aren't going to fill, uh, then you might do something you don't usually do, which is maybe you're going to play 50-50s or double-ups for your cash games that week. Uh, You should also be looking for overlay. Again, I like to leave a a small percentage of my bankroll uh, on the side for tournaments that might not fill. This usually doesn't happen on the main slate. Pretty much everything fills on the main slate. Uh, But on these smaller slates, sometimes you'll find overlay, which just means a, a tournament doesn't fill on a guaranteed prize pool. So I want to be able to take advantage of that without overextending myself. Uh, and then just any any late movement, um, lineup, weather, uh, injuries. Again, we, we should have some idea that what's going to happen, but we want to we want to be checking that um, the morning of. And when we're reacting to these things, the the injuries or the weather, all this research we did all week one piece of information shouldn't change your overall process. So if we have a really good bead that we're on LaShawn McCoy and all of a sudden there's a a little bit of a weather concern or or a player on defense is going to play that we didn't think was going to play, we shouldn't just take Shady out of our lineups, but maybe instead of being overweight on the field and instead of playing him in 30% of our lineups, maybe we dial it down to 15%. But we have to remember, we still did a lot of work that said what we the the conclusion we came to in our process at least makes us think it's a good play. So I, I'm very rarely making some drastic uh, switch on Sunday morning. And that's a great thing about NFL. Like NFL shouldn't be a hectic lineup lineup lock. We have so much time. It's it's so unlike any other DFS sport. Uh, there, we have most of the information plenty of hours beforehand. So we again going through this process all week keeps us from having a hectic Sunday morning. Oh, Major League Baseball, MLB DFS is so much more of a pain in the ass than the NFL is. Now, the <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know what I'm saying? It's just like it's such a grind. I can't wait for week one of the NFLs because that's when I just – I'm done with baseball. Like no. Baseball keeps me going, but the – 
there's games that are starting later than others and you got to stay up with the with, with all the lineups and stuff it's just a lot easier with the nfl you're right it should not be hectic like the other sports it shouldn't nba is nba is crazy too i mean you got guys that just don't even play in games anymore now they're just taking nights off it's it's wild. NFL, that, that is the best. That's the best draw if you're just a new DFS player about the mm-hmm. NFL. It's the simplest way. Well, I don't want to say simplest way, but it's the it's the least hectic of all the sports there is. You got a full <laughs> week to come up with your lineup. Yeah. yeah. Definitely not easier though, because there's just a lot of variance. All right. Um last, late swap. Late swap. Um you got to go through all your head to heads. I mean, what do you think about late swap? What are the, some of the challenges? What are some of the ways you can uh, get advantage there, or at least just try yeah, to stay you, on top of things? You just have to use it. Uh, a, a lot of people, a lot of casual players, even a lot of a lot of good players. Uh, once those games kick off at ten a.m., uh, time to pour a bloody mary, crack open a beer, start eating some nachos. Uh, once you start doing that, you kind of want to relax and take it all in and enjoy Sunday football. It's what we've been working all week for. But uh, if you want to be a profitable DFS player, you have to implement the late swap. You have to be around your computer uh, when those first slate of games end. It's time to start looking. Am I way behind in some head-to-heads? Am I close in some GPPs? But I, I, I need to change some things to have a chance to jump into first place. Um, if you're way ahead, most of the time you can just hold. If you're way behind or if, if you're behind in your head-to-heads, you have to take the time to go through your head-to-heads after the first game. And if you only have one or two players left, you can usually reverse engineer exactly uh, who the other players are in the opposing lineups. And even if you have 500 head-to-heads, you have to take the time to go through, look at the ones you're losing, and and that's money saved. Uh, sometimes it's money earned. Either way, you're you're changing the bottom line by using that late swap. It's available to you. Most people aren't using it. It's just an edge that goes beyond lineup building. You have to be doing it every week. So in review, don't cram. Get a good yeah. night's sleep. Um, don't tinker. I think that's a yeah. very because here's the th- here's the thing, and I gotta. A fr- and go back to another friend of mine. He does. He tells me he does this. He will sit there and he will see something pop up on Twitter about a player, how great he looks in warmups, or he made this one. <laughs> and he'll go and he'll mess with his lineup. And I, you are the yep. dumbest. You are the dumbest individual. Thank you for your money. I appreciate it. But he's like, it's the one thing that just drives me nuts. Sometimes I just see it and I can't avoid it. I'm like, you just totally blew your lineup up by doing this. Don't mess with your lineup at the last second. Don't do it unless a player is out. Yeah, I mean it's it's the the whole point of this is we're basically we're like the players we're preparing for game day. Sundays Sundays when it's fun. Uh, all the practice we put into leads up to this point. Uh, you want to be able to think about these things critically, have plans in place so that we're we're using the information intelligently uh, and not just kind of throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. And and that's where the tinkering comes from. If you've prepared properly all week. Uh, you're you're not going to feel like you're tinkering. You're going to be making educated decisions on some slight changes, but not just blowing the whole thing up. What about reading? How important is that to your process? Yeah, uh, every week I, I do these very intense breakdowns on on four for four that that gives all of my thoughts and all my favorite players. But usually in the article intros, I just give some kind of overarching ideas on on what's going on on the site or what are some some general things I see in the DFS uh, universe, and and those are little kind of game theory tips that. Uh, I noticed throughout the week or other writers on four for four will notice. So uh, don't, don't gloss over those. Uh, those. Those are some things that you just can't capture in a lineup generator. Uh, read non-football books throughout the week, whether it's some kind of uh, philosophy or economics or, or uh, whatever your favorite, uh, whatever your favorite writer is. A lot of times, some of those readings will give you ideas just in terms of, of game theory and thinking about how opponents uh approach things that you might not think of by just staring at these these numbers all week and it just gives your brain a break like a lot of the this process is being uh it's it's being calculated subconsciously in your brain so when we step back and and get good sleep and and aren't on our computers and until we uh go to bed that night having a couple hours before bed like all this stuff's pro- processing in your brain and if you've been working on it all week uh you're gonna have a little more clarity in what you're doing so um, what are you reading right now? That's non-football. 
Uh, I got a, I got a couple things. I'm reading uh, I'm reading a, a Brian Greene a book about uh, a book about the cosmos, uh, a parallel universe and string theory, and that stuff is intense. I can only read like a chapter a week. I'm reading a little bit of Seneca philosophy, uh, and then I'm reading uh, uh, Nassim Taleb's new book. That one's really dense. It's called Skin in the Game. It actually has a lot of uh, DFS um, parallels to it. Uh, but that's a pretty intense read, so I'm only about a third of the way through that one. It's hmm. impressive stuff. I was on Neil deGrasse Tyson's show one time, and I yeah, promised really. never to talk uh, about space again because I just I, I don't it, get it. I, I don't it's get it. It's almost it's almost depressing when you start reading some of it because you realize how how small we are. I don't know. I've, it's I've crazy. come to the accept. I've, I completely accept <laughs> my place in the universe. That yeah. was it. It's just like you know, you start talking about the time space continuum. It's it's too much for me. I can't handle it. I'm just gonna keep reading like the John Holmes biography and stuff like that. That that <laughs> that just takes my mind off everything. It really does help my process, TJ. Helps it does. Even if you don't, even if it's not related, giving your mind that break from whatever you're intensely focused on, I think is one of the most overrated uh, aspects. And especially in this DFS world and football world, like we're so ingrained in what we're doing and, and want to take in every piece of information. But taking that step back is uh, actually a really important part of my process. And if you stink, then go ask TJ for some one on one consultations because you do it, don't you? Yeah. I, I do, or, or just have, even if you can't afford one-on-one with, with myself or, or someone else you, uh, you trust or rely on. I mean, one of the weirdest things about DFS is when, when I was playing poker full-time, I, I use that term loosely, every good player in poker had a coach. In DFS, I just don't see it as much, and I think it's, uh, it's unexplored territory that have, just – having someone to bounce your ideas off, even if it's someone that you have a Slack chat or a Google chat with, uh, that's a reliable source, I, I think is is a really good way to refine your process. That's great stuff. All right, TJ, let's uh, let's get out of here before I start talking more about pornography. We need to stick to DFS here. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. When you sign up for 4 for 4s uh, DFS content, make sure you use our promo DFS MVP and you get 25% off. 25% off. TJ, great work with you, buddy. Talk to you next week, though. Very good. DFS MVP in the books.